next scary movie. Uh-huh. What's your favorite scary movie? Uh, I don't know. You have to have a favorite. What comes to mind? This is Eric with the Jumping Scared Podcast, and I am coming at you with a solo quick review for a fan-requested movie. Shout out to our fan who requested this, Andrew with Skin So Fair. It would put Snow White to shame. Thank you for making this recommendation. The recommendation made was Leviathan from 1989. So most people who are unfamiliar with myself would maybe think, okay, this movie is 30 years old. I've never heard of it. Why is this one of your most popular fan suggestions? Uh, You don't know enough about me, apparently. I am obsessed with creature features, especially with creature features that feature the ocean. Uh, And so Leviathan, you can kind of put two and two together from the title. We are going to get there pretty quickly. And as I was watching this movie, I was trying to pinpoint exactly when I became so fascinated with these kind of movies. I remember as a kid, I was like super into stuff like there's a chip and dale episode where they go underwater to a sunken pirate ship and that was like my favorite episode of any cartoon ever and then there is a reference here that probably nobody's going to get because i'm going to explain it very poorly but there was a educational tv series that we would sometimes rent from our local library and there was one specific episode where two kids who were learning about dinosaurs They were having some like a dialogue in a boat over this man-made lake that was like seemingly attached to a museum. And we see this massive plesiosaurus type dinosaur swim right under them. And for the fact that that alone sticks out to me and I can still picture that exact scene to this day, I can't tell you why, but I can just tell you from a very early age, I had some sort of weird fascination with this. And even now as an adult, I, uh, I browse like the Reddit subreddits, the Thalassophobia, the depths below. I don't necessarily would claim I subscribe to a Thalassophobia, which is basically just a fear of open ocean or unknown open ocean. I don't know exactly what the title is, but it just is fascinating to me. I think, I think it's just because it's the same idea why space would be scary or fascinating to people. It's, it's the unknown. And, uh, Leviathan definitely capitalizes on this. So as I said, it's a 1989 movie, and the very basic description we get from IMDb is that an American deep-sea mining colony stumbles upon a sunken Soviet vessel hiding a horrific secret. I don't know about you guys, that I don't need much more than that <laughs> description to get super interested. I'm already kind of hooked. Uh, So just to give you a quick little synopsis here, the director is George Cosmatos, and I'm pretty unfamiliar with his work. I mean, he's made a lot of action movies. He played a hand in some of the Rambo, I think specifically the second Rambo movies. And it seemed like from his uh, filmography, he leaned a little more action heavy, if anything. And uh, IMDb even classifies this one as adventure first and horror than mystery second. But um, yeah, so not too much familiarity with him. But for the cast, we have got a pretty a pretty fun cast, in my opinion. Uh, so my favorite character, who uh, is properly named Six Pack, and 
I it took me a little bit too long to realize that six pack because he uh, is seemingly a functional alcoholic. But that is our friend Marv, one half of the Wet Bandits from the Home Alone one and two uh, movies. Next, we have got, so he's not actually a main character, but he's the one who stuck out. He is uh, like the instant comp comedic relief in the film. He's always telling jokes and he's kind of the, I won't call him the odd man out, but he's like, how, how is this guy getting selected for this underwater, specifically mining uh, heavy trip in which it probably requires expertise in some certain field? Like, how, how did this guy finagle his way onto this ship? Uh, after that, we have got our main character, played by Peter Weller. And so I actually don't remember the character's name, but he looks exactly like a mix of Russ, who is the neighbor from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. No. Yes, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids or Ourselves. Yes. Russ, the neighbor from Honey, I Shrunk the... Our, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, I promise. That's the last time I'll say it. So a mix of Russ from that and Rick Grimes from The Walking Dead. So I'm going to be referring to him as Russ for the rest of the movie. Uh, just FYI, that's how I'm going to do it. That's how I'm going to remember him. We've got uh, Amanda Pays, who is our probably leading female in the movie. I'm going to start calling her SSB, standing for Strong Sassy Brunette. We've got a doctor who I will refer to as Doc. And uh, he was another one whose filmography I didn't recognize too much in. He played in... Uh, think some of the Rambo films with our director George Cosmatos and then finally our actually probably our most well-renowned actor in the entire film is Ernie Hudson which most of you will know from Ghostbusters but just looking at his IMDB profile he has got damn near 60 60 credits so kudos to you Ernie all right so there's there's the cast that I will be referring to. Probably not going to really be referring to anybody else besides those, those five or so people I mentioned. And let's just start off right off the bat. This movie opens like if you guys can picture who anybody who played a Halo or Halo 2 game. Anytime you take one of those uh, elevators that go underwater. And so you've got like the camera flashing by with like little fish in the background. That's exactly how this movie opened. But then... It chose to like mix the soundtrack with like a Lifetime movie soundtrack. So it was like weirdly positively uplifting, but also kind of a little bit of drama in the background. Like, oh, things are pretty nice now, but you never know what could happen down the road. And so right off the bat, I, okay, <laughs> I think I need to preface this entire review by really clarifying. I really appreciate silly movies. And so if you don't, I would just skip this entire review. But if you do, stay with me and hopefully we can have some fun together. Okay, so we're past our Halo 2 elevator mixed with Lifetime opening. It also, it, it has a very alien vibe, which I'll probably mention hopefully no more than 10 times. Somewhere between 1 and 10 more times I will mention that. Uh, I think, I mean, Alien was such a popular film with a, it has a cool science, fic, or a, yeah, science fiction nature to it, but also plays on horror genres and thriller genres. It's really a mixed bag. It attracts such a big audience. I have no no surprise that a movie like this would come out in 1989, uh, especially having those kind of influences. Alien was such a big success. Uh, you saw people responded to the kind of idea there. I'm not going to fault it for it unless they do a bad job, which we will we will find out here shortly. 
All right. So right away, within ten minutes, uh, our our main cast here we decide or we discover that their task in this underwater base is to mine from the coral from the rocks, and I guess they're just mining for um, highly valuable minerals and whatever underwater valuables they can get. I don't know exactly what can, you can quantify that as, but we are instantly brought upon a scene in which one of their divers is low on oxygen in the absolute nonchalance of the people in charge who are still in the ship and monitoring these divers is kind of unfathomable. So our first complaint, the guy goes, Hey man, I'm, I'm getting low on oxygen. Can you monitor my figures? And he goes, well, 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 you look good from here. What can you tell me what your readings are? <laughs> and we get a shot of his readings and they're like plummeting off the line and he's the only guy there inside the ship, no support whatsoever. And the fact that they've seemingly been doing this for a while and they've got no support system whatsoever is just fantastic. And uh, he's, we slowly have these uh, other divers lead him back into the ship and he's like kind of passing out inside of his suit. I mean, he's running out of oxygen. It's it's, uh, it's a natural progression when you're doing that. You kind of start to pass out. And it, uh, it kind of reminded me of the magic school bus scene when uh, they go to outer space and Arthur takes his helmet off and he freezes. I'm like, okay, that would be a pretty pretty cool moment. But unfortunately, I mean, maybe fortunately for the cast and the character, we get him inside just in the nick of time. It looked like he'd passed out. looked like he was maybe going to perish. But we get him inside, get the water levels down, get him shot up back into the ship, and he is a-okay. But what this scene does for us is it displays that maybe this ragtag collection of underwater divers and diving monitors isn't necessarily the best crew for the job. I mean, we've already seen them struggle on seemingly a very simple task, so maybe this is going to pave the way for some shenanigans to go down as we move on during the film. One thing I appreciated, which I don't think anybody really is going to be able to vibe with, but our main character, Russ, uh, he opens a can of Coke with his teeth. And most people would probably cringe at that idea. But as somebody who has been a chronic nail biter their entire life, that's the only way I knew how to open a can when I was a child. I've since developed the skills. Maybe it's the inclusion of Drinking more alcoholic beverages, I'm getting more used to opening cans. I can do it with my fingers now. But seeing somebody do that made me feel just a little bit better about myself. So kudos to you, 1989. You are making kids and adults a little bit less self-conscious about their nail-biting habits. So good job. And Marv. As we are introduced to Marv, pretty much the first thing we see him do is ogle one of his teammates co-workers uh, chest and under his breath but not really under his breath just say what a pair <laughs> and obviously she uh she hears him and asks him to clarify and he said oh i uh we uh we make such a good pair and then she goes oh you weren't talking about my boobs <laughs> so i mean this this is the the kind of dialogue in these movies is what gets me there's when you have a movie that doesn't take itself too seriously number one it allows so much freedom in the dialogue and it just allows all of your characters just to be 
be free. There's no specific guidelines they have to follow. I mean, they have to advance the plot in a little bit of the sense, but mostly they're free to shoot the shit and maybe color me naive, but it feels a little bit more realistic, the kind of dialogue you would see in this kind of movie as opposed to something with a large scale budget in a similar science fiction type atmosphere. Cough Star Wars, cough Star Trek, cough. Oops, sorry. Shouldn't be coughing on air. But anyway, uh, this also brings up a good point. So there's two, two schools of thought when there's this type of scene. I mean, first school of thought, it's, uh, it's kind of sexual harassment. But also, second school of thought, I mean, shoot your shot. We all know the age-old dilemma of uh, the implication of being on a boat, so... All right. Anyway, one thing I have to point out kind of instantly uh, is you see it pretty clearly whenever they get outside of the ship, especially. I've got a strong opinion on visual effects and CGI. So my opinion is it needs to either look great or it either need, or it needs to look terrible. And this movie fits into one of those camps. Uh, but it is into the camp that it looks absolutely dreadful. But if you're to that point where the CGI and the visual effects look terrible, it's silly to the benefit of the viewer. Because once you are presented something that is so ludicrously silly as these visual effects, all your aspirations of this being like a 10 out of 10 movie go away and you are just fully free to sit back, put your feet up, and just get along for the ride, which I don't think enough people do in this day and age. I think too many people get caught up and focused on critiquing things to the highest degree and worrying about the cinematography and the audio and the CGI and every little nuance. Sometimes you don't need to worry about that. Sometimes you just need to have fun. And uh, with this movie, I had quite a bit of fun. So as I mentioned earlier, um, here's my mention number two, if my counter is correct. Very alien-like. You could also say it's kind of like Armageddon. And I will give you hot take number one of this review. This movie is better than Armageddon. So sorry to all of you Bruce Willis fans. And for some reason, the people who like two and a half hour movies that have absolutely no substantial plot. Just watch this movie instead. It'll be more fun. Anyway. We get into the crux of our movie when Sixpack, which is Marv, the uh, Home Alone character, goes off on one of their diving explorations and he finds a sunken Russian ship. And as anybody could possibly know, especially Stranger Things Season 3 fans, when you find things that are underground and Russian, S-word is about to hit the fan. So we get all of these uh, artifacts out of the sunken ship. He finds like a big trunk and they're pulling all these things out. And luckily, I mean, thank God they've got somebody on board who can speak Russian. Cough, cough. That's too convenient. But the one thing of note that is pulled out is a bottle of vodka and a flask. The bottle of vodka is put off to the side and kind of locked away. The main captain, Russ, doesn't want his crew members divulging in the uh, devil's nectar so he puts that away but our boy six pack never to be uh, taken away from a drink 
keeps the flask in his back pocket. So that night, we see Sixpack and one of our women who I haven't already announced before sharing the flask of vodka. I only say this now because clearly it's going to be a plot point later. One thing I like about this movie is we get the hilarious boss monitoring in via video call. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Dynamic. So I have always wanted to have this power, just any meeting I'm ever in, to be on a TV screen and I can just pick up this big remote and turn it off and the meeting's over. Can you imagine how cool that is? I mean, it doesn't make so much sense nowadays where most of your meetings are on high definition Skype if you have to do that kind of thing and it's kind of a rude business practice. But to be in that position of power where your time is so valuable that you can just end the meeting on a click of a button, that is what I strive for. Honestly, that, that's, that's the American dream, if you're asking me. And so I mention that because we have a seemingly uber-powerful woman who Russ and the doctor have to report to to make sure everything's going fine, that they're meeting their mining quotas and that everything is going swimmingly, no pun intended. And uh, she is consistently just uh, making sure things are going well and then not caring whatsoever about any of the problems on the ship. And actually, I would go as far as to say it's not just that she's not caring. She is like almost rooting for problems to happen. She wants like the suffering of the crew if it makes her bottom line like a tenth of a percent higher. Honestly, I don't even know if it's about the bottom line. I could see her just rooting for the suffering because that's who she is. She is a very, uh, very cold woman who couldn't care less about anything that the uh, ship presents. And I respect that. I really do. She has got the power of the remote. She, she has worked her way into that position. And who's to tell her not to turn that button off whenever she feels like her meetings are over? All right. So, as I mentioned before, Sixpack and one of our women shared that vodka. Unfortunately, next morning, Sixpack is not feeling too good. And uh, Doc rats him out saying, ah, this looks like a classic hangover. Unfortunately, it is not a classic hangover. It is pretty bad we get some welts on Sixpack's back, on his chest. He's got the cold shakes. He feeling nauseous, all sorts of things. And we get one of the best scenes of the entire movie from this. So as he's getting these sores and these growths on his back, the doctor kind of takes a fleck of skin, looks like it's like peeling sunburn, and puts it under a microscope. And I have no idea what kind of microscope they had back in 1989, but this thing acted like a goddamn Pokedex, and it immediately identified like every strain of DNA that was in, uh, inquired or not inquired was uh, entwined within this skin cell, and it like pointed out like, oh, this is not human, this is not human. Like, what? What is? What is this microscope? And where have I been in science class in 2013 not seeing this shit? If they had this back in 1989 on some mining mission in the underwater, who gives a shit? They could have had that at my high school in Michigan. That's just me complaining. But as this microscope, to microscope told us, there's something funky going on with his skin cell. 
And this is where we get very the thingy and we start to see our unfortunate soul six pack, may he rest in peace, start to almost transition into a sea creature type thing. It's all it's very thingy, it's very alieny. It's like the mix of the alien popping out of the chest and like the thing taking over a body and you see like the skin breaking and the limbs popping out. But overall it's bad. I did note that the first time we saw like the humanoid six pack, it looked fire. So I still trust my judgment from that. And this is also another classic example of deteriorating group dynamics in a life-threatening environment. People, if you want to write a horror movie, honestly, if you want to write any movie and have it be a simple formula but effective, that's all you have to do. Introduce something where it is clearly life-threatening to a portion of your group and just have those relationships devolve. It's, it's, I don't want to say it's easy to do, but it's a simple formula and you can do a lot with that idea. All right. So as we are going down, six packets infected and then we unfortunately see his, his female friend who also sipped the uh, devil's nectar. She starts to feel a little rough around the gills and also no pun intended, but also pun intended. And she sees what happens to six pack. She is not about that life, and unfortunately, she makes the decision to commit suicide. So now we've got two bodies on our small ship of like a crew of seven-ish. And of course, Homegirl at the top on the monitor is saying, no, we can't rescue you. She does give the excuse that there's a hurricane coming, but maybe they can get them in 12 hours. Honey, what hurricane's finishing in 12 hours? Sorry, that's just you being cruel again. So we've got two bodies now. Unfortunately, these aren't just bodies. These bodies have begun transitioning into, dare I say, Leviathans. And so we've got, we've got bodies that are no longer with us that are transitioning into Leviathans. We've got limbs that are being cut off that are taking on minds of their own. We have got sea creatures that have detached from the bodies that are running amok in the ship. We have got absolute chaos and my favorite scene actually of the entire movie comes up and it's kind of like uh in snakes on a plane when the uh early couple is doing the business getting the uh mile high club badge and the snake pops out of the toilet and hops on a snake if you know what i'm saying we have got a scene where a sea monster attaches itself to a, this homeboy's chest and uh ghostbusters forget his uh, JJ is his name in this movie. JJ sees it and he's like, uh, man, I'm going to go get help. And he just ditches. <laughs> like this guy is getting the ever loving soul sucked out of him. Like it's a Dementor. And, uh, he's just like, okay, I'm a ditch. And the best part is he doesn't go look for a weapon. He doesn't go look for anything that could potentially remove this sea serpent from this man's chest. He goes and gets the doctor like, yo doc, you got to go check this guy out. So, I mean, I respect for staying alive. I mean, it's kind of a meme in horror movies that the black guy is the first one to go. So I understand it. Maybe he had, he had that in the back of his mind, but maybe help out your bro just a little bit. And at this point, uh, so at this point, 
we've seen those two people die. This guy, of course, dies because he doesn't get any help from the crew. And we get down to a crew of three people. And then we get over the loudspeaker that the above ground support team led by this cold hearted bitch is not going to rescue them. They announce that like everybody's dead. Like that's like their going out announcement. So this crew realizes like, okay, nobody gives a shit about us. We're on our own here. It's like very hunger gamesy. You realize that the people who are supposed to support you no longer care about you. You got to fight for your life. If you're going to make it out alive, you got to do it yourself. So as we go down, we've got these three people left and these sea serpents start popping out of every crack and crevice like it's uh, Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask and you got to catch those last couple Zora eggs. And quick tangent, how many people as children who bought the Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask actually beat that game? I really want to know because I would say for 95% of the population that game is unbeatable without a strategy guide. If you don't believe me, I've got multiple N64s and I've got copies of the game. I will send that out to you, especially if you've never played. And I want you to tell me how long or how long it takes you to beat it or better yet, how long it takes before you give up because that game is too hard. Okay, tangent aside, I apologize if this is getting a little bit of a silly review, but to be fair, this movie is silly. And I think if this movie was sentient, it would say, yeah, if somebody's going to review me 30 years down the line, I would prefer it to be a silly podcast. So if anything, I feel like I'm doing it justice. Okay, so we get to the point where we've got sea serpents popping out of the cracks and the crevices of the ship. They're running through, they're getting attacked, they're who knows what. And they eventually get outside of the ship. And somehow... When I was picturing this whole thing, I mean, we never saw a depth scale of how deep their ship was, but every goddamn person, so the three of them, make it up from the ship to the surface in one breath. Like, what? <laughs> I thought this was going to be like 100 meters down in the ocean. Why would you need this massive sea base if you are a free dive's distance away from getting down to it? That was just like, what is what is going on? This made no sense to me. Anyway, we get to the end. And honestly, I was very prepared. I mean, I'm, I was very ready to start the podcast. I'm not going to say prepared because I did next to no preparation. But I was very ready to start the podcast. And then the last five minutes of this movie happened. And I was just exploding with giddiness and glee so we get to the surface and we've got these three characters and wouldn't you goddamn know a shark <laughs> starts circling them so they haven't seen enough problems down in the bottom of the ocean they haven't seen enough humanoid sea creature uh leviathons no we get a great white shark circling them Unfortunately, they are able to maneuver around these shark attacks, and I start to think all is lost. And then, boom, a big-ass leviathan pops out of the water, looking like a mix of the Predator and some sort of Iron Giant-type figure. Oh my goodness, this, this whole scene just made me lose my mind at how absolutely absurd it was, but how perfect it was. Like, I can't picture a better way to cap off this kind of movie than have 
you do the double whammy of the great white shark leviathan combo and with that i'll leave it with our uh pretty much our parting quote which was hilariously ripped off of jaws and uh as they are trying to avoid this leviathan we have a man with a flare who trying to get it in the mouth of the leviathan tells him the quote say ah motherfucker just like smile you son of a bitch and with that i'm gonna take you off this movie was a lot of fun thank you so much for recommending it andrew and honestly giving it a rating it's hard to do but it's got it's got a better rating than i would think it has on imdb it's got a 5.8 on imdb but for how much enjoyment it brought me i'm gonna give it a 6.6 I want to go back. It was our family. One day, one night, we come straight back. What the Dickens brings you all the way out here? Everything you did, why come back now? There's something out here, isn't there? How is that possible? You want to know what it is that runs all this? You go find it. Welcome to the second half of this episode of the Jumping Scared Podcast. My name's Alex, and I am normally joined by my twin brother, Eric, but you already heard from him today because we're doing two solo reviews. So Eric already hit you with his review of a listener's choice of Leviathan, and I'm going to continue that trend of a listener's choice. Um, This one was recommended to us from a friend named Ethan. This is going to be The Endless from 2018. And this is an interesting one. I didn't realize at the time. So this is a kind of a follow-up continuation from a previous horror movie, kind of horror sci-fi called Resolution, which I believe is from 2014, 2015. Um, and this is going to be by the same director pair, it's uh, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. So they previously worked together on Resolution, uh, Spring, and also they were writers, semi-producers of VHS Viral, which I feel like... We've had a lot of uh, director credits when we talk about it from VHS or VHS2 or VHS Viral because they have the shorts and so you end up getting a lot of directors or producers who are involved in that. So that's been one that's been a common thread for a lot of our directors. So getting back to this Endless 2018, like I said, this is kind of a horror sci-fi blend. It's, It's definitely an interesting movie. And for me, this is something that it kind of shifts tones throughout. I, I talk about tonal shifts a lot in horror, and sometimes it can be a bit abrasive, but I think this movie blends it pretty well. I think it plays with the different themes or the different kind of tones very interestingly and compellingly. So uh, I kind of give you a very overall synopsis. This is a essentially two brothers or two friends who have escaped some sort of UFO cult are sent a video from a member of this cult said cult and then they are kind of lured back to going in just to check up on it and get some closure so the very early parts of this movie feel like a cult movie it feels like the sacrament or the invitation it just has a very culty vibe um, even maybe a little bit of midsummer 
you get um, just really uncomfortable friendliness from the cult members, and it just it just feels like a cult movie. So this is kind of one of the tonal shifts. Like I was pretty into the movie just from the kind of cult shenanigans when the two friends arrive back there. It, it definitely sets up an interesting atmosphere and interesting environment. And I was like, okay, I'm 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 on board for a cult movie. And then we get some interestingness happen. So. Um, I'm going to kind of give very general spoiler-free thoughts, and then I'll jump into spoilers. So um, I don't have a ton to say spoiler-free, other than this is a very, like I said, out-there movie. I mean, it's it blends sci-fi pretty heavy with um, with the horror. Like, it almost kind of goes into Lost, the TV series levels of sci-fi-y. Like, it's a very, very in-depth world, a very... You know, it has pretty defined rules. It has, well, I shouldn't say that. It has very specifically defined rules. Like, it, it really does try to build kind of like a, a like a universe. And this connects, you know, back to resolution. Like I said earlier, it has a lot of the same world building, a lot of the same themes. Um, you get this kind of unknown entity that can interacts with media, with, you know, with video cassettes or with recordings or with some, what, some sort of different kind of visual or auditory media. And then you just get really an, a fear of the unknown. You don't really understand what's happening. Um, without jumping too much into spoilers as well, this is a movie that also plays with time. I have talked about a bunch of movies in the past, uh, Mind Games, Triangle, um, more <laughs> that are blanking, uh, Happy Death Day. There are a lot of there are a lot of that's a pretty common theme in horror movies. Is this kind of playing with time? This movie gets there a bit in the future without getting too spoilery, and. Yeah, I think one last thing I'd like to say spoiler-free. It opens with a really great quote from H.P. Lovecraft. The oldest and strongest emotion of mankind is fear. And the oldest and strongest kind of fear is fear of the unknown. And I think that quote perfectly sets the stage for this movie. And it really kind of embodies what the movie tries to do. So I love that opening. And I think it's a really great way to start the movie. So with all that said and done... um, I, I probably wouldn't recommend watching this standalone. My friend, a friend, Ethan, who recommended this, actually had watched it standalone, had not seen Resolution. I would recommend watching Resolution first because it definitely sets the stage and is a good gateway into this movie. Um, I would recommend seeing it. I think it's pretty solid. It's definitely an enjoyable flick. It's got some good, I don't know, kind of good conflict building between our main characters. It's got a good, interesting sci-fi horror, horror-y world. And it's, it's, I think, a pretty fun watch. So this one's going to get probably like a high six for me, right around seven, just under seven, maybe 6.8, 6.9, somewhere in that range. So definitely an enjoyable watch. Um, maybe nothing earth shattering, but definitely a solid, solid flick from 2018. And I definitely recommend pairing it with Resolution first and then following up with The Endless. Okay, so, all right, we're going to jump into spoilers now. Um, and, you know... <laughs> I think the most, what I want to talk about most is I think this movie poses a lot of interesting questions that kind of make you consider and make you think about. Uh, I really like when movies kind of pose you with uh, questions about moral morality or kind of questions of putting you yourself in a perspective of how, how would you try to handle this situation or what would you do in this situation? And I think so... Um, as the movie progresses, obviously we're doing spoilers now. Uh, they discover a, the the two brothers discover essentially this weird entity is controlling time and creating many many time loops. And there's a bunch of different side characters who are caught in time loops of extremely varying lengths. Like there's one person who's caught in a time loop where 
he literally has maybe two seconds where he continually just dies. He like runs forward, dies, runs forward, dies, runs forward, dies. And and uh, to the longest we find out the space cult has been around for like a, doing a 10 year loop and they, who knows how long like it seems like they could have been doing this loop for ages like you know multiple 10 year sessions which is pretty wild like there's the people who like expert uh, become experts at physics and and really good at like horticulture and all these different things like they've really developed expertise and there was a joke about um, one of the cult leaders like oh you know they say it takes 10 you know around 100,000 hours to become an expert or something like that I forget the number and then then you realize at the end it's like oh they actually have maybe experienced that it's almost like a groundhog day thing where Bill Murray becomes a god these are essentially gods of their own little individual universe so um yeah so what I wanted to say though with this is these time loops um it's revealed that essentially you get trapped by the time loop if you're within this area when it's coming to an end. And so most people opt to, to commit suicide because if you let the entity kill them, it's it's like a really brutal death. But um, some of the people are happy to be in the time loops. We get the interesting question posed by one of our main characters. It's like, well, you know, my life on the outside kind of sucks. Like if I'm in this happy kind of culty family and they're having a great life, like, okay, so I'm caught in a time loop. It's going to repeat every 10 years, but like they're happy. Is is that better? And, and it kind of poses the question. It's like, well, you know, is it, it? would you sacrifice kind of the individuality of an actual life? Would you sacrifice your ability to kind of, you know, live like a normal human to have this kind of almost utopia-like place, even though it's a little fake? It, it kind of, it, it's an interesting duality there. It's, it's like a fake utopia, but it's only fake if you think about it. I mean, on your actual day-to-day -day life, it might kind of feel perfect, but in the back of your mind, maybe you're always like, well, it really is a facade. Like, do I actually want to live like that? And I think that's an interesting question because, you know, obviously people throughout life, you might have, you know, annoyances with work or you might not be perfectly satisfied with where you're at. And that's like what our main character was experiencing or one of our main characters was experiencing. And he's, he's really, you know, debating like, is that better? And I think that's a super interesting question. I think that's definitely something that allows you to think and allows you to kind of have an emotional response to. So I think it's a really great question posed by the movie. And I like when movies are able to do that, pose these really deep, interesting kind of um, metaphorical or maybe not metaphorical, but uh, morality-based uh, kind of big questions. So definitely an interesting question posed by this movie. Um, and then I wanted to add just the reality of being stuck in the time loop is pretty horrifying. I have, I mean, I guess, I guess one thing I'll lead in with, like, so when I was a kid, um, being raised in a Christian denomination, I, I kind of was like afraid of the, and like when we, I was learning about heaven, I was almost like afraid of the endlessness of it. I was like, well, if I die and go to heaven and I'm just there all the time, like that seems like it just goes on forever that kind of seems weird like I, I was kind of like really like that was when I was a kid that was like really hitting me hard I was like I, I don't I don't know if I want to just have something go on forever like that just seems I don't know it seems wrong even if something you know a perfect utopia it's like well do I want to be in that situation forever and uh you know that this is something that these characters are faced with they're, they're entering this time loop where literally it just repeats over and over and over again and it's endless and it's like you know, obviously, title the movie, title the movie plug, The Endless. Uh, that's To me, that's kind of terrifying. Do you want to be in some sort of situation that literally is endless? It's like, how do you, 
how do you apply value to your life if there's literally endless time to do anything? It just, it's daunting. It's scary. It's uh, it's uh, hard to wrap your head around. It's definitely something that is horrific to me and, and, and definitely like another thing that really makes me think. It's something that you kind of have to consider. It's like, well, if I was in that position, ugh, I don't know. That, that would be very, very uncomfortable. You also then are posed with the finiteness of life. It's like, well... Is endless life better than endless nothingness of death? You know, if you're going to assume there is nothing after death, it's kind of like a, just opposing the duality question there as well. Is endlessness better than nothingness? And I don't know. I'm getting like real philosophy, <laughs> philosophy, getting really into philosophy right here. But uh, that's just like an interesting question posed by a horror movie. You don't get too many deep thoughts like that from movies, and I think this movie really does pose that in, in an interesting way. So. I'm going to apologize if anyone was really expecting like a deep dive on this specific movie because I'm really touching more on the actual kind of questions or the motifs that made me think of more. So I, but to me, that's what was more, most interesting about this movie. So yeah, this was just um, a very interesting movie that, that led me to kind of a lot of deep contemplation and a lot of deep thought about the, you know, the hopelessness or the maybe the, the really specific kind of way the characters had to approach uh their situation so yeah i think that's about all i have to say this is a pretty quick one uh, it's, it's a little awkward i'm used to having the repertoire with my host uh co-host eric but we had uh, limited time and so we wanted to do this individual episode and we also you know covered the individual movies from our listeners so i'm glad we were able to do that so if anyone has any recommendations in the future we would love to listen to more listener recommendations so uh until then though this has been the jumping scared podcast and we will see you next time thanks for tuning in to the jumping scared podcast have any questions comments just want to share your horror movie opinions with us feel free to reach us at jumping scared podcast on twitter or by email, jumpingscared at gmail.com. See you next episode.